Welcome to the great conversation where ideas matter. We know they shape markets, but more importantly, we know they can change the world. We have with us today someone I've been talking to for I don't know how many years. I actually don't. I can't remember how many years. It started with a great conversation uh, that we had around one of the great conversation events and the possibility of her coming out to speak, which we still haven't had her yet, but we will get her one day. I want to introduce you all to Michelle Gay. Hi, Michelle. Hello. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Michelle is the founder of Safe and Sound Schools. And her journey, her journey has been a long one. And it started with a critical incident in her life. Michelle? It certainly did, yeah. So I'm, I'm actually, full disclosure, co-founder of Safe and Sound Schools. Um, my co-founding partner is Alyssa Parker. She also lost a child at the Sandy Hook School tragedy. So as you, as you mentioned, um, yeah, my journey, it, it began, um, the genesis of, of this journey has, has been, you know, tra a tragic experience, a, a loss experience. Um, my youngest daughter, Josephine, was killed in the tragedy that day. Uh, but she has not left my side. Uh, she's certainly with me every step of the way and motivating me and pushing me to, to develop this culture, this community around the safety of our schools nationwide. Michelle has, over time, collected a lot of subject matter expertise around her and has been able to leverage that subject matter expertise to collect critical data around uh, what a safe and sound school might look like. And over the last three years, she's done actually a survey. Uh, I believe it's three years in a row, right? 18, right. 19, and 20. That's and right. what I'd love, and all of you can download this survey, it's free of charge. All you have to do is register on the safe and sounds uh, website. But I'd be interested in you sharing, Michelle, what have you learned from 2018 to the present uh, that may have changed and may be indicating the future as well? Yeah, exactly. Lots has, a lot has changed. Um, I think ever more so now that we're in this, this new era of pandemic. But you know, before the, the pandemic, we had just wrapped the data collection and, and started on the reporting of, um, of of this last year's survey. Um, we did include some, um, some survey questions about school health, um, which is a good thing <laughs> because it turned out to be a really important issue for, for our schools. Um, so that aside though, what I would say is over, over the years in this work, we were collecting a lot of anecdotal information and trends and sort of finger on the pulse about, um, about things everybody was concerned about or talking about or worried about or, or problem solving for. And uh, we decided to put you know, pencil to paper and conduct these surveys with our stakeholders. So parents and students, uh, school-based emergency managers, law enforcement, school resource officers, school psychologists, administrators, on and on, right? Everybody who has a stake literally in the school community. So we reached out to them with some very simple survey questions. And we noticed over the three years, uh, one very common thread throughout was that uh, the engagement level of students, the involvement that students felt was a real deficit 
was a real weak point. Uh, and the time that we've spent, and of course, you know, my, my background is as an educator. So I value very heavily the input, the eyes and the ears of students in, in terms of knowing what's going on and, and knowing what we need to address in the school community. So that's something that we've really worked very hard on. We started a uh, safe and sound schools club. So we have student clubs, we have leadership opportunities to really just try to engage youth and, and create a seat for them at the table, you know, allow them the chance to share their good ideas, um, to, to share their invaluable perspective. So that's one of the common threads. Uh, we certainly over the years have noticed a greater sense of community empowerment. And this is wonderful to see. Uh, this is very much a part of our mission is, as you and I've talked about, creating this ecosystem, engaging this, this community around the safety of our schools. So we see that that's happening. People are becoming more educated. They're stepping out of their silos. Uh, mental health is talking to security, is talking to fire, is talking to educators and students and parents and, and so on and so forth. So those are some of the key findings that we've had. Um, but I think the most important thing is just to keep asking, to keep talking. You know, the power, as you know, of having these conversations, you know, that's where we find the gold. That's where we find the gaps we need to fill, the, the items we need to address. Um, that's where we're able to start um, thinking about the future and, and what we can do better to create a safer tomorrow. What I find fascinating about this, uh, you listeners listening in know that we have talked about that culture can trump strategy, can eat it for breakfast, I think Drucker said. Um, and so one of the challenges in the commercial ecosystem is activating the culture around security. And I see some interesting analogies here. We're not looking at kids as security is something that happens to them, but security is and safety are who they are as well. That's that's remarkable. How'd you come to that conclusion? Was it because of your background as an educator? I think so, sure. Years as a classroom teacher, I, I mean, first of all, you're not gonna survive <laughs> if, you, if you don't engage your students and create a community together. Um, and, you know, I think very often as, as educators and as adults, right, we can, we can get very nose to the grindstone, stuck to our mission. Uh, and, you know, kids, they'll keep you in check. You know, they'll let you know, wait, wait a minute, you're losing sight of the big picture here, or this is, is, is going on. So, uh, you know, some of the most um, important things I ever learned as an educator and, and certainly now as a school safety advocate were from students. So students, have you've, you've got to be listening to them. You've got to be engaging them. They have to be part of the conversation. It's almost like you're following some form of Maslow's hierarchy and need. Let's start with making them feel safe and secure. The next level up, trusted, that they're in relationship with you. And third, you kind of touched on it a little bit, and you're feeding them a sense of purpose and mission, which is part of the educator's role. It's not just a data download. It's making them feel they're part of this great conversation, which will be their journey in life. It, it sounds like you're going to, is that, is that a little off or am I right? That is 100% the pathway. That is, to me, that was the recipe for success as an educator. They are it. They are the objective. They, it's all about them. It's all about their journey. It's all about facing obstacles together, identifying those obstacles together. And, and when, 
kids start to see that, when students start to see that, some of the other junk just kind of falls by the wayside. Right. The silly little squabbles and disciplinary issues and, and all of that, when they know that you're really in this together, you're not gonna leave their side uh, and, and, and you wanna hear from them, you wanna learn alongside them, that's a real change maker. That is very powerful. Let's take that same spirit for a second. Again, for those of you listening, an ecosystem, we know the security ecosystem is more than just an end user. It's more than a CSO and their team. It's, it's their culture, it's their business leaders, but it's also their vendor ecosystem. I, I loved what you said. We've got to keep talking because we'll find the gold and the gas if we have great conversations in that ecosystem. So tell me what you've done so far in activating these companies that will one day inherit these kids. Have you got them involved in safe and sound schools? Are they, are they coming in? Do they get where you're taking me that this is just more than safety and security? It's actually about changing our communities too. You know, that's been an interesting part of the journey itself because I think when we started this work almost eight years ago, uh, it was almost like school safety was its own thing. And there was this other silo of, of security and there was this other silo of law enforcement and this other silo of fire and this other silo of mental health and on and on and on. And so um, a, a challenge I think for us was that the folks that we were interacting with from the solution provider world, the technology provider world, um, in corporate, they were very tracked on things that work for them out in the world. And I think it was a, a real challenge for us to try to get them to understand the, the, the world that is our schools, you know, and, and they're all very different. Each classroom is different for goodness sakes, but to help them understand um, the very unique needs of our school communities and as you said, the, the end user, when it comes to school safety, it's the students, you know? So if, if we're not put, if we're not designing everything from programs to, to the building, um, to the technology and on and on around our, our students, then we're just failing. And, and so there was this kind of top down approach that we were really kind of bucking against um, when, when trying to engage uh, stakeholders from from the rest of the world, right? So I feel that that has has really started to change. And I think you know when you and I have these conversations, we see nothing but parallels. We see um, exciting opportunities to learn from one another about the ecosystems that we've created. And I think that's beginning to happen. It only ever happens through engagement, you know. So inviting those folks to participate, we have a, a summit, uh, an annual you know, summit on, on school safety. And last year we were lucky enough to be able to do it in person and it was amazing. It was wonderful to bring all those stakeholders together, the solution providers, the, the vendor community, the educators, the school resource officers, the mental health folks in the same room at the same table, starting to speak the same language, starting to share ideas and, and resources. And from that point, I've really noticed a turning point for us where, you know, when, when there's that level of engagement, it's like, oh, well, I, I actually do have something for you. Now that I understand 
what your needs are, um, I, I can help you with that. So we're starting to see uh, a great deal more participation. I think you've seen with, with our virtual events, um, unfortunately we weren't able to hold the summit as planned in person this spring, but we're lucky enough to be able to take it on as a virtual event this fall. So more on that later, but uh, we're seeing a lot of interest um, from industry in participating, in supporting, and, and really becoming engaged in a, in a very hands-on way in school safety, being part of that ecosystem. I'm gonna ask you in a moment how, what steps a company, not a vendor, a company, so the end users uh, and their teams that I'm speaking to all the time, how can they individually get involved, their parents or, or former parents like me, investing in a safe and sound school community and the activation of this conversation Michelle's having, what can they do individually? And also in your experience, how can they turn to their own companies and maybe activate sponsorship of safe and sound schools? Great questions. I would say first, welcome. You know, just come and join us. Uh, take part in the conversations. We we regularly gather our community on um, web chats, on podcasts, um, on webinars, and and series discussion series. As well, we'll have we'll have our summit. You know, this fall. Um, so there are a lot of opportunities to engage with us. Uh, we are often asked to join others. You know, um, for schools, we do a lot of convocations and and a lot of those types of, of conversations. But we do that as well in the corporate setting um, because, as you know, a, a lot of a lot of lessons can be um, can be shared from from space to space. And sometimes um, the learning is a little bit more meaningful when you're finding that nugget in a place that that you maybe didn't think you know that you would. Um, you're you're learning something through a different context, but you can now take it back to your place, to your, your ecosystem and apply it there. So I would say first, you know, join us, uh, become part of our, our community. And, and then I would say there are endless opportunities to support the work. We are a nonprofit organization. So we rely very heavily on individual donations, on fundraisers from, from many of our partners and um, from, from those partnerships. We have annual partnerships. We have partnerships that center around say our learning series, um, our return to learn series is happening right now, um, helping schools to prepare for the return to learn this crazy school year. And then of course, at, at our summit. So lots of opportunities to literally get behind the work. And the projects are endless. You know, we're always creating new resources, new series, new learning opportunities. Um, the opportunity to, to be able to provide for a world-class expert on, say, social-emotional learning free to our national community. I mean, that is that's amazing. That's an amazing contribution to the field and to school communities across the country. And it's a way to make a real difference. I just, I just, love, I just love how we're bringing new voices into the risk resilience security world. Um, I, uh, in Palm Beach, I brought one of the top organizational psychologists in who had never spoken to a security organization in their lives. And it was amazing because we had some very interesting discussions about personal resilience. Here's these risk resilient security people who are always taking care of others, but not necessarily practicing personal resilience. And 
And so I love how you're reaching into these different areas that may not be directly associated with school, but helps you inform the school on uh, maybe how to operate a little differently. So that's great. Absolutely. Um, one of the, uh, I just remember just now, believe it or not, I just remember one of the things I do at the end of every interview, because this is a member-driven community, as you and I have talked about, this isn't a professional event organization. This is a member-driven community. So I always ask them, uh, who can we invite to the round table? And everyone who's heard my story knows what the round table is. Who, who can be invited to the round table in a great conversation and should be invited in to also listen to others? And, uh, and I, I get some amazing responses. At first, many of them were talking about other security leaders um, uh, or uh, risk practitioners. And then I would get some interesting comments. So the other day, I, I had somebody who's interested in school security go, you need to interview a parent and a child yeah. on how they would define security. Why it's is security important to them, right? It's yeah. fascinating. And, you know, just kind of like turn it all up on its head and challenge your thinking. Uh, you know, like I said, your end user is, is the students uh, and, and certainly the family wanting to make sure that that family feels safe sending their child to school every day. That's right. Uh, because believe me, uh, if they don't feel safe, and many many parents are in that spot right now where they're thinking, I don't know, I don't know if this is if this is safe, if I'm going to be able to do this this year. So teach me just for a second. Teach me just for a second. I'm in front of a kid. Let's pick an age. That way we have context. So let's pick a um, under ten, eight years old, and then ask, uh, and then I'm going to ask the same question about say a fifteen year old. Okay. And I'm going to ask you, if I interview them, what are three questions I should ask them? In terms so, of like what makes them feel safe? What well, are what if, if I'm trying to get good data out of them to feed to our risk resilient security community, what do you think the three questions I should ask them that would open I, up that book? Absolutely. I think the first one is what makes you feel safe, right? What makes you feel safe in school? Um, the other would be what, what makes you excited? about going to school, you know? I think you, you, when you start looking at these problems a little bit differently and asking these questions a little bit differently, that's where you start to get new, new insights. And then I would say, you know, what things would make you feel safer? You know, how can we make the experience even better? And you'll get some, you'll get some um, otherworldly ideas, water slides for one, you know, uh, roller coasters, um, cotton candy down the hallway, all kinds of fun things. But, um, but you really will get some, like I said, some gold from those types of questions. But if we don't understand what safe even means to them. You know, um, sometimes I think as adults, we're addressing one thing that we think is the problem and, and maybe we have misidentified. We have, we have uh, you know, incorrectly determined what the problem is. So we're solving for something completely different than what is really desired by our students, by our staff, by our parents. So funny you say that. Cheryl Michaels, who runs security at Seattle Pacific University, she, I go, what are you doing in this, in this moment? And she goes, I've been thinking a lot about a Kairos mindset. And I go, what is that? And she goes, a Kairos mindset means you actually 
see everything. You see clearly everything. And most of us live lives of scotomas. We've been trained to see a certain color a certain way. We, we have all these, use a term that's been bandied about on race, but I don't mean to apply it just to race, but implicit bias based on our experiences, right? And so, and so I love the approach you're taking with the kids and the parents. Yeah, put on a different pair of glasses, you know? Just look at it upside down, sideways, for goodness sakes, but you gotta turn it around um, so that you can really start understanding what you're dealing with. That's right. Okay, so the two questions I ask everybody, one, what are you reading or what should we be reading? What would you recommend to our community? And two, who should we invite to the round table next? Oh my goodness, okay. So in terms of what I'm reading, uh, oh, tons and tons of things right now, just wrapping my head around COVID. So lots of, of things online, just from a practical standpoint. Um, but I think something I've done differently since we hit the pandemic is just return to a little bit of junk food reading. <laughs> uh, just a little bit of healthy escapism. So I just finished a book called uh, Big Lies in a Small Town. Um, again, you know, sometimes I just think you need to leave your present space, go back in time, um, le you know, leave your story and, and just kind of immerse yourself in somebody else's uh, to think a little differently and become refreshed. Uh, another thing, um, I think like many folks, I have been cleaning out closets, organizing, um, getting rid of things that are no longer necessary, um, reevaluating a lot of things, you know, in and around me in my life. Uh, so Marie Kondo's book, um, actually she has, she has a couple, but Spark Joy is, is one that I read and she's just an absolute guru of cleaning and organizing and, and thinking differently. Um, it's, it's fascinating that a book about, you know, cleaning up your clutter could actually change the way you are thinking, your cognition, you know, how you're feeling in, in your environment. So, uh, so I highly recommend those. And as far as who we could bring to the table next, wow, that's tough for me because there are so many great people that are on my mind right now um, that will be joining us at the summit. But I think I would like uh, I would like to hear from one of our students. Uh, we will join with several students next week, actually, um, for a great conversation of our own about police in our schools. Uh, so wanting to hear straight from the kids, what does it mean to you? Good, bad, ugly, things you want, things you don't want. Um, so um, I reserve the right to, to pick, but I'm sure that I'm gonna love um, each of the things that the three students uh, that will join us next week are going to share. Uh, there are also several students that we hosted uh, in our Tuesdays at the Table discussions uh, who were just absolutely extraordinary and inspiring. Um, wonderful, I think, to listen to the kids at this time in our in our world um, because I, it's just it's so refreshing. Um, the the hope. Um, the ideas, uh, the brutal honesty, <laughs> you know, just, just so critically important. So I would say a student voice would be wonderful and I would be so happy to help you pick someone to, to come to the table. And we can do it in a number of different ways. We'll talk about that offline, but I think that we could get very creative around that and, uh, and have some fun with it. Sure. Uh, Michelle, this has been amazing uh, to have you finally in front of me after all these years. I know, yeah. it's so funny. 
busy schedules, busy lives, maybe that's the silver lining here is that we have had to slow down a little bit and be a little bit more deliberate about the conversations we're having, the, the problems we're looking to solve and the work that we're looking to do. Well, I just love how you listen, how you see things differently, and how you keep mining for gold and gas. I, I'll, I'll never forget that phrase. Michelle, thank you for a great conversation. Thank you so much for having me, Ron.